You're listening to Rowan Radio On Demand. Download more podcasts at rowanradio.com. The following program does not represent the views or opinions of the staff or administration of Rowan University or Rowan Radio. 89.7 WGLS-FM. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents Studio 89.7. This talk program focuses on newsmakers, celebrities, and authors. And now, here's your host, Philadelphia radio veteran, Paul Perello. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of Studio 89.7. My name is Paul Perello, and on today's program, we learn about the life of Robert Edward Crane, an American actor, drummer, radio personality, and disc jockey, and perhaps best known for starring in the CBS situation comedy, Hogan's Heroes. Crane was a drummer from the age of 11 and began his entertainment career as a radio disc jockey in upstate New York and later Connecticut. He then moved to Los Angeles, where he pursued an acting career and landed the lead role of Colonel Robert Hogan in the CBS situation comedy, Hogan's Heroes. The series aired from 1965 to 1971, and Crane received two Emmy Award nominations. Crane died a tragic death in Scottsdale, Arizona, at his apartment while on tour in June 1978 for a dinner theater production of Beginner's Luck. Though Crane's friend was eventually acquitted of the murder, the case remains officially unsolved. It also has become the passion of my guest on today's program, as they have authored a book on Crane's life. Carol Ford, D. Young, and Linda Groundwater join us on this special edition of Studio 89.7. Thank you so much for having both of us on here today, Paul. It's been a long time, but it's It'll be worth the wait. The, the book is Bob Crane, the definitive biography. And some people may know Bob Crane. Some people may have not heard of Bob Crane. And unfortunately for them, they really are missing out on um, a history of uh, a legendary showbiz entertainer. Uh, and one thing that I took away from this, Carol, after reading the book, is that, you know, perhaps I think it's safe to say that most people know Bob Crane because Hogan's Heroes, uh, and it's not um, unreasonable to think somewhere across the world today that there is probably a rerun of Hogan's Heroes on. But most people, Carol, know Bob Crane for the role that he played on the CBS television show, Hogan's Heroes. Yes, absolutely. Um, And very little is known about his radio career, even though radio was probably, you know, before Hogan's Heroes, it, it was probably the thing that uh, he excelled at. Uh, people mm-hmm. know him for Hogan's Heroes because that was a hit show. But what he was doing in radio was far and away, and I'm sure as you read the book, you, you realized that uh, was groundbreaking stuff. And so, so that is something of great importance as, as far as, um, you know, his drive in his career in radio. And then in all of his, his career uh, moves. He he was driven to success in all of it. Um, one thing that, that I took away from it, being a radio guy for like 41 years, is that his his style as a radio disc jockey when he was starting out was perhaps something that had not been heard or tried before. And when we think of contemporary radio hosts or disc jockeys, he was really at the forefront and a pioneer, if you will, when we talk about you know radio personalities. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he he actually didn't want 
to be known as a DJ. He considered himself a true radio personality because he felt that he was doing way more than spinning records or reading copy. He was actually creating a show and making a sport with it that was far and away different than what had been done or little bits of it had been being done, but he was piecing them all together to create something that was very unique. All of his, his career uh, moves, he, he was driven to success in all of it, uh, and especially way ahead of his time during the 1950s and into the 1960s. You know, before his radio career took off, he was a musician. Uh, he was a, a, a very accomplished drummer. Uh, again, not many people know that. They only know this one dimension of Bob Crane, but he really um, was a, a well-rounded entertainer. Absolutely. It was actually one of the first things I learned about him that I had no idea about. Uh, was that Bob had been drumming since he was 11 years old. I mean, he went to the, to the World's Fair in uh, 36 uh, and saw Gene Kruper and said, this is, this is what I want to do. This is, I want to do this. I have to do this. And eventually he got into drumming and he took lessons and he was in school bands and he created his own bands. Uh, with friends in school and mm -hmm. if you talk to any of his schoolmates they would say that's our little drummer boy and you couldn't find him anywhere without drumsticks and it was drumming on the lockers drumming on the desk drumming on the books you know drumming on the girl in front of him <laughs> uh, music was everything to him um, and uh, so it was it remained an important part of his life to the degree that he had drums on the set of Hogan's Heroes in his dressing room. So if you wanted to know where he was and you didn't know, listen for the drums, chances are you'll find him. Given the fact that his, he died a very untimely, tragic death, and he lived so many years ago, I'll, I'll ask both of you, and I'll start with Carol. What made you decide to take up this topic? And Carol, you've written other books. But what made you decide that you know Bob Crane was going to be the um, the subject that you were going to tackle here, because the book is quite extensive and it's called a definitive biography for a reason, because, you know, there are those books and magazine articles and newspaper articles that came and went that got into Bob Crane, got into his his life and his tragic end. But why did you really dive headfirst into this? Uh, well, it was a process. And I I have to say that I don't think any one person could have done it. It was definitely a team effort. Linda actually started officially researching his life back in 2004, I believe it was Linda, Three. and 2003. And uh, she, being a broadcaster, being a uh, someone in journalism, she had an investigative mind about her to say, this is something that I want to learn more about. And so she did start officially researching him by reaching out and, and doing what she has been known to do in her other career in radio journalism, uh, which was to start asking for interviews. Uh, for me, it was something that I had just always wanted to learn as a kid. So I was doing like very um, elementary research back when I was 15 years old, going to the library, looking things up. Nothing was there really because it was 1985. 
So there was no, <laughs> there was no internet. Uh, so it was just kind of piecemealing things. Microfiche, exactly. <laughs> and so, and then um, we would be, you know, terribly remiss if we didn't mention D. Young, who brought uh, to us the entire Connecticut radio component uh, and all of her history with Connecticut radio. She worked at WICC for 40 years before she retired a few years ago. She was our key into getting some of the folks that did work with Bob in WICC, at WICC, who would maybe not have wanted to talk with anybody. Because one of the things that the three of us didn't learn and learned the hard way was that it was almost impossible at the outset to get people from his life who were close to him to talk with us because they had been so badly burned by uh, the media since his death by things that were coming out that were not true. And then, of course, uh, or in the early 2000s, the film Autofocus, which Linda and Dee and I learned, well, it was completely, it was, it was created, it was produced for one reason and one reason only, and that was to sell a film. And it didn't matter if it was true. It didn't matter if it was telling lies without uh, factual uh, fact checking, you might say, in today's world, um, but it it prom it promoted the image of Bob as someone he was not. And so, when we approached either individually or together people, we had to really, really work hard at earning their trust. And when we started to learn more and more about Bob, it became a mission because not only were we learning things about him that were so different than what had been out there in mainline media, but we were also earning trust of these people who were placing their trust in us to do the right thing. And they would say things, thank you for doing this. And um, you know, we're in this with you. And these are people from his family, his friends from high school, his colleagues in radio, Hogan's Hears, acting, and then also the, the counselor who was helping him at the end of his life. Mm. And so it did become something that was way more than just let's go write a book. It, it yeah. was something that was much more passionate and passion driven. The list of people that you outline in the book. I mean, it's not just four or five, six hundreds of people that you have reached out to the three of you, Carol, as well as the young, I mean, everybody cooperated on this project, including, I believe some members of his family also yes. agreed to participate, right? Yes. One of the first people that I was able to um, make contact with um, through WICC, which uh, was the, one of the Connecticut radio stations that really launched Bob into the stratosphere um, was his cousin Jim Senich and Jim um, Jim is about 10 years younger than Bob um, and Bob was his hero and he just really was so upset with what people thought of his cousin because that was not what he knew. That's not the person he knew. Those aren't the things that he knew. They were, uh, I remember specifically that there was a television show that made a joke about him and it really disturbed him um, and his family. And he said, you know, people probably think that he walked around with horns in his head, but that's not true. It's not who he was. And so he was very, very supportive. And over time, we got other family members and friends and schoolmates and 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 workmates and 
it was it was a long, hard haul, like Carol said. Um, when I started the research on this book, I didn't know anything about autofocus. I mean, I'm in Australia. <laughs> I don't even know if the film came here. <laughs> um, yeah. But I was at my mother-in-law's one day watching Hogan's Heroes on cable and said, gee, I haven't seen this show in ages. And I remembered that when Bob was, when, when I was, much, much younger, um, that Bob had been killed. And I didn't remember any details except that I wasn't allowed to watch the news. And so I said, well, I'm a grown up now. Let me find out what's going on. And I looked it up and I saw how he had been killed. But then I, the internet was flooded with scandal, with sex, with murder, with sex, with murder and more sex. And I said, geez, is that all there was here? And I dug a little bit deeper and saw, gee, he was a drummer. Oh, well, I love drumming. Let's learn a bit about this. And, and he was a disc jockey. I had no idea he was a disc jockey. Um, and I said, gee, I was in radio. This is fascinating. And I started reading other bits and pieces, but I had to keep burrowing past the sex and murder. And I said, this isn't fair. That was pretty much my whole thought process at that moment. I'm a really stubborn person. And I said, this isn't fair. Somebody needs to do something about it. Why haven't they? And so I decided that that was what I was going to do. And so that's how I started my process, which was much less organic than, than Carol's. Um, mine was more of just in righteousness of saying this is it's not fair that any person is known for one thing and it was when we continued that process um, and expanded it and I think before you joined Carol I already had Ed Beck but we hadn't finalized the interviews yet the Reverend Beck was the gentleman who was counseling Bob um, before he died and and these people were so the people that at that time had already agreed were begging for someone to say something other than he was in Hogan's Heroes he had sex and he was murdered and some of those people that are in that book it took years to get them to agree persistence Absolutely and gentleness and uh, Robert Clary from Hogan's Heroes was one of those people. The first time I approached him, it was absolutely not no. And then I tried about a year later with a list. We started sending out a small list of people who had already agreed to see if that would kind of help them. Uh, and it was absolutely not no. And then Arlene Martell, who played Tiger on Hogan's Heroes, as well as, you know, being a guest actress on hundreds of shows in that time period, went to Robert Clary and he said no. And then about two years later, one final go, and I finally got back a yes. Um, and the list was getting longer every time, every time. And so word was eventually getting out that we could be trusted or they believed we could be trusted with Bob's true story. And we can't really give enough credit to those people who entrusted us. The, the responsibility of that 
was not lost on us. But the privilege of that was immense, that here were people who had been waiting, you know, 30 years or more to be able to say, hey, I knew Bob and there's more to this story. And eventually they started coming to us. And they said, oh, I know this person. I'll go get this person and they'll speak to you. And it was, it just kind of kept growing and growing and growing. And at some point we thought, where do we stop? And we thought, well, we don't, we don't. And the more that people want to say, if you want to come to me and tell me one story about one encounter that you had with Bob, we want to hear it. Was it a good encounter? Was it a bad encounter? We didn't know what we were going to find, did we, Carol? We had no idea. That's right. All we knew was that we were waiting for stories. And when when we were doing all of this research, and that's a really good point to make because we were hearing things, um, you know, from people. We when we would get on these calls, and they were with you know big Hollywood people, Al Ruddy, who, you know, the Godfather. I mean, come on. And so you know, he was a co-creator of Hogan's Heroes, but you know, you know, he calls and you know. We didn't know what, what these folks were going to say. And it was, we were nervous. You know, I mean, <laughs> we live normal lives. And um, yeah, I was know, getting ready for work when already was. <laughs> and, um, you know, so this is pretty big. And we didn't know what people were going to say to us. We didn't know what we were going to get back. And we would kind of hold our breaths. Like we wanted to hear good things, but we would hear what they would have to say. Good, bad, ugly, whatever. And most of it, yeah, there were a couple of, of, you know, bumps in the road, but bumps that make anybody human. I have bumps in my road. We all have bumps sure. in our mm-hmm. life stories. And so it wasn't anything horrifying what, what people, the handful of people who did have some negative things. It wasn't anything that I would be like, whoa, I don't want to put my name on that book. Uh, it was, but most of it was, I would say a good 99% was this was a good guy I have wonderful stories about him. It's a shame he ended up going down that road. He died way too young. It's a shame he was murdered, but it was the same thing. It was almost, it was, it almost got on repeat and and it was nice. And I think that's what really then powered us even further to become so invested in it and to continue to be invested in it where we do have a podcast, where we do have a website, where we do have social media, where we want to give lectures and talks and things like that and do interviews like this. Uh, because even though the book is going on six years old, it's still his life story. And it doesn't change the fact that there are people out there who don't know his true life story. And so we keep going. Um, we have been asked upon occasion or criticized upon occasion um, for not saying more horrible things <laughs> about Bob Crane Uh, and, you know, were we hiding things or, you know, we were only telling the story that we wanted people to hear. And that's absolutely not true. Um, If somebody said things that were unpleasant and I can think of one off the top of my head, um, we included them. We didn't set out to say to anyone, just tell me the good stuff. Um, We said, just tell me the stuff. And we'll work out what he was and who he was through whatever it is that you tell me. So when somebody came, you know, to us and said, here's my story, we didn't weed out anything. As a matter of fact, we got to every interview we did. Oh, gosh, every interview was at least 30 minutes. Most were well over an hour. Some stretched for three or four. Um, And some of the particularly close ones were very long interviews. Um, and the truth was that we at some point would say, 
what about, you know, this other stuff? And most people didn't know about the other stuff. Some people started out the conversation. Gary Owens was particularly one of those who said, and I quote, I'm not going to talk about that. And by the time we got to the end of the interview an hour later, we got to that. And that was simply that most people didn't know, that it didn't reflect in his daily behavior, that it didn't affect their friendship. Um, and so we want people to know that what you're seeing in the book is what his friends and his workmates and his family got. We are just reflecting what these people knew. We aren't hiding bad things or, or sugarcoating or whatever. What it is, is what the reality was for the people who knew him. So that, that's why we do separately deal in a separate chapter, this other part of who he was, because it didn't impact every relationship he had. So were we hiding things or, you know, we were only telling the story that we wanted people to hear. And that's absolutely not true. Um, if somebody said things that were unpleasant, and I can think of one off the top of my head, um, we included them. We didn't set out to say to anyone, just tell me the good stuff. Sure. Um, we said, just tell me the stuff. And we'll work out what he was and who he was through whatever it is that you tell me. So when somebody came, you know, to us and said, here's my story, we didn't weed out anything. As a matter of fact, we got to every interview we did. Oh, gosh, every interview was at least 30 minutes. Most were well over an hour. Some stretched for three or four. Um, and some of the particularly close ones were very long interviews. Um, and the truth was that we at some point would say, what about, you know, this other stuff? And most people didn't know about the other stuff. Some people started out the conversation. Gary Owens was particularly one of those who said, and I quote, I'm not going to talk about that. And by the time we got to the end of the interview an hour later, we got to that and that was simply that most people didn't know that it didn't reflect in his daily behavior that it didn't affect their friendship um, and so we want people to know that what you're seeing in the book is what his friends and his workmates and his family got we are just reflecting what these people knew we aren't hiding bad things or, or sugarcoating or whatever, what it is, is what the reality was for the people who knew him. So that that's why we do separately deal in a separate chapter, this other part of who he was, because it didn't impact every relationship he had. Uh, we're, we're running short on time, but I, I want to talk a little bit about um, the end of his life, because Carol, and we talked about this before, um, it's one of those unsolved murders. I mean, they thought they had a suspect in Bob Crane's death, and then it found, even despite the fact that there was, I guess, some blood evidence, it just turns out that, they, that it's one of those cases that have not been solved. Yeah, and it's... It's unfortunate. I wish they would solve it. 
I wish they would solve it because there are so many theories out there that float around. Uh, the big one, of course, is the prime suspect, uh, John Carpenter, different from the movie producer uh, or film director, uh, who was his quote unquote friend. You know, that is the one that everybody believes did it. Um, you know, we've heard every theory under the sun. Um, are any of them valid? I think if you, you know, chisel everything down, anybody could make a case about any one of them. But the point is, is that there is no evidence, no physical evidence to prove it's just, you know, circumstantial or gut feeling or whatever. And so, unfortunately, at this point, I don't think unless there is some tremendous groundbreaking uh, you know, deathbed confession or, you know, something is unearthed that that wasn't before. I don't think it's ever going to be solved. Uh, and that's unfortunate. Um, but what I would like people to remember is, is while everybody is a, you know, I, I'm a true crime buff. I enjoy, you know, watching Homicide Hunter, just like, you know, the rest sure. of them. Um, but, you know, Beyond that, look at what this man's life was. It's fine to be interested in his death and in the crime and look to see if you can put all those pieces together and play an armchair detective for an hour or an hour and a half. But remember, this man had a life. He had a family. He had friends. He had co-workers. He had people in his life who loved him and cared about him. And to them, he is more than a headline. He's more than an unsolved murder. He's more than a scandal. Look beyond it and get to know him. Get to know him a little bit and then, then make your judgments. Um, we're all sitting here, you know, passing judgments on, on everybody we see, you know, in, in the news, on in Hollywood, TV, you know, whoever, we pass sure. judgment. But get to know Bob a little bit better than just the, uh, the headlines, the murder, the headlines. And I think you'll be surprised. What is it, um, Linda, that you hope people take away from this book? Oh, well, I hope that people will take away the idea that celebrity is more than just a public perception that each person that you see or each headline that you read has a real person behind it and you may not be getting a whole story matter of fact you're probably not ever going to be getting a whole story and that a person's life is made up of more than one dimension you know bob if we take it down to bob specifically the perception the public has of him, as I said earlier, was, you know, Hogan's hero, sex and murder. But he was so much more than that. And he was a, we often said he wasn't a perfect human, but he was perfectly human. And we all are. And whether your problem is an addiction, like Bob had, or whether your problem is, you know, that you eat too many donuts on the way to work, it's your business, it's your life. It's your relationships and for people to have judged him for so many years because of how he died, that they have delved into this, exposed this addiction that he had, that he was trying very hard to fight and had no way of defending himself. It's horrendous. And I hope people learn a bit of a life lesson from that when they read this and say, gosh, what do I not know about other people? What do I know, not know you know, about someone else's battle. And maybe I need to be a little less judgmental about that. Agree, 100%.
Well, again, the name of the book is Bob Crane, the definitive biography uh, by Carol Ford, Linda Groundwater, and Dee Young. And I want to thank you so much, uh, both of you, uh, for being with us, especially Linda, who joins us from down under where it is uh, uh, the, the middle of the night or the we small. Going back to bed now. <laughs> back to bed. Well, I know um, if people want more information, uh, Carol, I know you say you do podcasts. Where could they find out more information about, about the book? Sure. Everything. We have a website uh, and it's called voteforbobcrane.org. It's vote, the number four, bobcrane.org. Everything is there. The podcast, the book, all of our work, you name it, it's there. That's where you can find it. Voteforbobcrane.org. All right. Great. Well, I want to thank both of you for being with us. Uh, Carol, pleasure to see you thank once you. again, although in this Zoom format. Linda, it's a pleasure to meet you. Nice and, to meet uh, you. And again, the name of the book is Bob Crane, The Definitive Biography. I want to thank both of you for being with us. You've been listening to Studio 89.7, a monthly program that focuses on newsmakers, celebrities, and authors. Please tune in on the second Saturday of every month at 9 a.m. for another edition of Studio 89.7, only on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM.